Welcome to the show, everybody. My name is Pete Wright, and I'm here with Megan Strand. Hello. And Dane Christensen. Hello. And uh, we are the Naked Marketers, and we have a great show today, as far as I know. Uh, Thanks right? for joining us today, right? Peter. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we have lots of news to talk about, and we have a uh, uh, what I hear is a terrific interview uh, coming up. Uh, right, Megan? It is a fabulous interview. Why is it such a fabulous interview? Why is it a fabulous interview? Because A, Dane and I did it without you. Um, but secondly, we talked with Sean O'Driscoll, who is one of the founders and um, CEO of Ants Eye View, which is a, an amazing company doing amazing things with social media um, in big corporations. So it's um, he's got lots of great stuff to share. I can't wait. You, you can't have to, to be. It. You have to be um, careful with with Pete. There, he's got. He's very sensitive. <laughs> when, when you when you say it was a great interview because he wasn't there, he cries. I, I don't think that's true. I, I don't think that's true. And um, he's really just. He's a very sensitive man. Well, I'm coming from a place of sensitivity myself. <laughs> that's why I can say this. All right. So I to point it out. It was I a great interview, though. No, but we did, we it did was a great Peter interview, Des and Pete wasn't there. Those are the facts. No, and we missed Pete desperately. That's that's the truth. But we we it was a great interview, and I'm very excited for everyone to hear it. So. I'm just thrilled that you guys are uh, are enabled uh, and equipped to do this without me. You're, because you're, you're, now okay, I can go to Boca. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just happy you guys were capable of doing it without me. Did you just, did you just say you're going to Boca? <laughs> Did you really did just not. say you're going to Boca? Well, eventually really, I may go to Boca. I don't no, even you... know what's in Boca. I think it's retired people, right? <laughs> that's pretty much all that's in Boca. Oh, my goodness. Uh, for all of our Boca listeners, I'm sorry. I don't know more about your uh, lovely part of the country. <laughs> it's in Florida, right? Boca Raton. Oh, my gosh. Uh, okay. Moving all on. Right. All right. Well, we have news to talk about today. And I think the big news is, uh, well, I, I just need to ask you, were you guys as glued to the F8 coverage as I was? No. <laughs> nope. I'm, I'm really curious and interested and have done some reading, Pete, but glued to the glued, F8 no. coverage. F8? Yeah, no. My level of, of nerddom I don't think reaches that high. Exactly. I'm with you. Oh, you guys. Come on. <laughs> that's, what we, that's what we rely on you for. So come on. I, I, am, I am thrilled about all of the implications, but you're talking about a developer's conference, so, you know, oh, that's hard for me. <laughs> <laughs> so tell us what happened at so F8. So you were glued, Pete. What was it like? Did you pop popcorn? Well, <laughs> I sort of. I, I, it was that close. The, the, first of all, I, if if you want a case study of how to do a live uh, conference for a big business, uh, boy, Facebook nailed it. And and uh, you know they had multiple live streams from every stage at the F8 conference. What the F8 conference is the developer conference for Facebook and. And uh, it's where Facebook announces all their new platform updates and changes and the tools that developers are going to use to grow their Facebook applications. Uh, and, uh, you know, that's so that's the background. Uh, they had massive live stages. They had, uh, you know, many of the keynote speakers spoke, uh, you know, three or four times live throughout the day. Uh, in delivering their keynotes uh, in order for more people around the world to see them. Um, and uh, and all of the breakouts uh, breakout meetings were also broadcast right on the F8 uh, uh, website inside of Facebook. It was really brilliant. So you could that switch back cool. and forth and, uh, you know, everything live. And, and in my experience, at least yesterday, they, they just, I mean, nailed it. It was rock solid. Uh, I didn't have any trouble accessing these things. Uh, you know, the streams were beautiful. Uh, 
Was it streamed uh, through Ustream or through Facebook? No, it was through Facebook. And, um, you know, at one point it was bizarre. I even was watching the Facebook live stream on my iPad uh, because I thought they of were using Flash, were. but it looks like it looks like they were they they were driving an H two six four you know HTML five uh, 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 you know browser stream for video, which uh, I didn't expect. So it was it was really terrific, very accessible and, and great. So that's that's the fan stuff. You you might have just gone over a couple people's heads with yeah, that. like mine. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, it just means just you can watch that. stuff on the it's standards. It's a new standards compliant thing. We'll talk about that some other time. <laughs> the not. real issue is, um, and why does it matter for marketers? Do you guys, I mean, in what you read, do you have any thoughts on this, or do I need to do all the work here? <laughs> oh, boy. This is <laughs> wow. <laughs> no, we're just going to sit back and laugh. At <laughs> Go ahead. No, uh, okay, so for marketers, I mean, the biggest thing, and there are, I don't know, the three things that I pull out, Pete, I don't know w where you plan on exactly going with this, but the three things that I pull out are one, the change in, um, uh, and I guess it's far it's far more reaching than what I'm about to say, but from fan uh, being a fan to liking, um, there's that, and, and and Pete, you can definitely get into what that means in terms of social apps and and how uh, it, it integrates into websites. But if you have a Facebook fan page right now, uh, you've been looking at how many fans you have or you know, you're, say, a fan of a page, it now says how many people like the page, which is a difference. <clears throat> I think that's great for marketers. Um, I think that, um, and, and this is something else you can get into, Pete, is the amount of information Facebook will now have to help marketers market to people. That, that seems to have changed in some weird ways. But the other two things are the, um, the open graph, I guess, the, the way to sort of get a map of how you're a certain amount of connectedness. Um, so Facebook taking... Uh, I, I don't know, the, the social connectedness, I guess, um, of, of what Facebook means to most people to a different level um, with the open graph and then the, the new inside analytics that are coming, which I guess they haven't announced everything on. Those were the three major areas, Pete. Is that kind of what you're pulling out of it? Yeah, I, I think it is. Uh, you know, the, I think the, the biggest one, well, okay, not the biggest one, sort of secondarily, the, uh, the like change change from fan to like I think is a big one it sounds like semantics but uh, uh, but it's, it's sort of a big deal and I, I was asking my wife this last night like do you do you think you would it be more inclined to like something or to be a fan of something and she said oh immediately like I'm, I mean I, it's much right. easier for me to imagine liking something right. than, than to be a fan of it and and what that enables, and what they covered on the developers uh, in the de with the developers yesterday, uh, is something much broader. And that's what you mentioned, Dan. It's that social graph, uh, the open graph. Essentially, what they've done. I mean, today you go to Facebook or you go to somebody's website, right? You can go to the Naked Marketers, or before yesterday you'd go to the Naked Marketers, uh, and you'd say, you know, I want to become a fan on Facebook, and you click a link, and it takes you to Facebook. And then you, you know, you are added to the list of fans and everybody watches their fan numbers. But there, that is sort of a gated community, right? I mean, it's like you, you can't, you know, you don't see everything that your fans are doing and your fans don't see everything you're doing. It's not very opaque because you end up with this, you know, the secondary inbox of updates in Facebook. So if, if marketers want to send out an information to all, uh, you know, an update to all their fans, it, it's sort of hard to get it there. 
Well, what Facebook has done, this next level of iteration, is essentially increased the level of granularity. Now you can uh, go to the Naked Marketers, click on an individual episode, and say, I like that episode. And that episode will be then broadcast in your stream on your wall. And that also gives the Naked Marketers essentially permission to broadcast information uh, from our site to your feed in the future. So we can send you information more directly uh, by, uh, you know, by that like functionality being more integrated into our website. Now that's an isolated example, but imagine you know, all of their major media partners like CNN and you know, Levi's and all of these, these um, uh, you know, the 25 massive media partners that launched with them yesterday uh, with like functionality at that level of granularity. Now we're able to broadcast uh, how we feel about individual elements on the open web into our Facebook streams. So can I ask a question about that? Because this is, I think, incredibly useful. Um, I think so often it happens that you, you know, get this request like, oh, fan my business. And, you right. know, you're like, okay, whatever. Yeah, you're my friend. I'll fan it um, to up your numbers. But you don't really care about it. So mm -hmm. that, that whole individual element, I think, is is incredibly important um, and I think it gives a lot better data back to the owners of the website so they can understand what people are actually caring about but so my question is I did have a question my question is so say I like episode eight of the naked marketers right. um, and I, I was not an original fan right so um, by liking one component of the naked marketers website when you say then it enables us to give you additional information how does that work because i've only liked a component i haven't liked the whole site well that and you can like a whole site or you can like individual right. pieces now what so, that see, I, that gets a little bit more geeky uh they've released a set of of uh, you know at the easiest level for you know if you're just running your own small kind of small business medium-sized business website they've released a series of social plugins that allow you to install things like your activity feed when people you know, uh, on your website that shows Facebook activity on your website, and we'll have some of that stuff. W what they've also uh, launched is a, a, a series of new uh, meta tags that you can build into your site. Uh, and what if, if your site has these meta tags enabled, and these, these meta tags define for Facebook the name of your site, the content of your site, a brief description of your site, the URL of the site, um, you know, the uh, URL of an image, a thumbnail that, that is your site, like our album art in, in our case for the Naked Marketers. Mm -hmm. With all those tags in place, as soon as you like something, Facebook is going to come scrub our site and it's going to say, okay, now I see these meta tags. I'm going to integrate those into the user's profile who mm. liked this. So then when you mm. go to the info pane, it'll say, you know, what bands do you like? And if the Facebook, you know, band tag was filled out, it'll add it to the info section on band. And suddenly you'll start getting those, those update feeds from that band, uh, you know, uh, directly. Now you can turn that off in your privacy settings if you don't want to have all that integration, but I don't think most people will. And in Facebook's, you know, traditionally kind of um, uh, tenuous relationship with, you know privacy um, they uh, I, they weren't very clear about how you could turn that stuff off a and so I think the most for the most part uh, you know Facebook uh, you know people will not be turning that off and you'll have a lot more access to people's kind of stream of consciousness 
and, so and that's a big deal. And the, you know, it's a it's another big deal because they announced you know a year ago they had 150 million active users on Facebook. Now they have 400 million active users on Facebook. Okay. Well, I'm I'm inserting active that maybe you know yeah. uh, the definition <laughs> of active. Uh, Ever put one post up, yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, the definition of active is is a little bit up for debate, but 400 million user accounts is a big deal. So, um, so, but when you do like even just a component of a site versus the entire site, you're making a little bit of a commitment, though. I mean, you're saying, okay, now I'm now I'm giving you access to my right, and that's another that's another interesting thing for for developers to to think about because. One of the one of the things that changed in the terms of service uh, for application developers in uh, on Facebook uh, prior to yesterday, um, Facebook terms of service for developers in the SDK said you cannot keep information on your users on people who you know in this example like your stuff uh, for more than twenty four hours, mm. and, and you have to scrub it and. Um, and now they've removed that restriction. So essentially, you can, you know, you can be your application can keep information on users for much longer. Now, on the outside, that enables, uh, a, you know, a much greater degree of interaction with users. And I think that's their, you know, that was the primary focus is to increase that level of interaction. And frankly, it, it's my understanding that developers were kind of hacking their way around that requirement anyway. Uh, and so this was sort of like pulling back the curtain on something that was, you know, it was already going on. Um, but um, you, you know what we should have done, you guys. <clears throat> I, I just realizing as you're talking, Pete, that we probably should have warned people to have a big cup of coffee right before this show. Are you are you going to sleep? <laughs> are already? you going to sleep, Dan? No, <laughs> no. I'm just you know you need to be alert for uh, this stuff. I'm, well, you know. it's it, you know I I, st- I want to bring it back to marketers because this is important. Uh, you know I think this is a Facebook market is an important one, and it's. You know, I think between Facebook and the app market, understanding how your users are interacting with your content socially, I think, is a really important thing, um, and uh, and and it's a big deal. So we're you know we use the Naked Marketers website to test this stuff, but you know and make sure it works. And right now it's broken. I broke <laughs> it this morning. But by the time you listen to this episode, hope, I'm sure it'll be. Dear fixed God, right I there. hope it will. I okay, so let me so just um, talk. Take this back to something practical. Then, so what? Um, Who's doing this now, and where can we see it? You know, uh, to get a living example of companies that are, are doing it well. You were talking about some big companies that uh, were partnering with Facebook. So who's, right, who's doing and this? let me. Uh, you know, you can start with uh, you know going to CNN.com, for example, and and uh, um, and log in and and uh, click on a story. I'm looking at the Elian Gonzalez saga, still vivid for oh many gosh. ten years later. You yes, know, that's still going on. Yeah, yeah they. Where is this? Is a where are they now? It's it's you know. Oh. <laughs> uh, is that still? Is that kid not Bobby. back in Cuba? <laughs> <laughs> He's uh, Bobby Brady and a 26 year old Elian Gonzalez still in a closet. Uh, but if you look in the top right hand corner, you see all the social buttons, and then you see a new button that says recommend, and right next to it, it says 62 people recommend this. Be the first of your friends. And if you click recommend, here's what happens. Where are you? I'm, I'm looking at page. a story. I, I'm, I'm just. On that page. Oh, recommend at the bottom. Mine's at, at the, the bottom. It is? Yeah. Are you looking at a story? I'm looking at the Elian Gonzalez story. Wow. Oh, no, it's at the top, too. Yeah. Sorry. All right. So it's at the top and the bottom, as I said. Uh, <laughs> Ooh, a little peer pressure. Be the first of your friends. That's right. Now that's important because as soon as you hit recommend, it will automatically say in your Facebook stream, 
I, uh, you know, Megan likes the Elian Gonzalez story. <laughs> don't click that. You don't want that in your stream. Uh, <laughs> and then the next I time, <laughs> see, you and I are friends, right? So now when I go to that site, I see Megan, De Megan Strand and 62 others recommend this. So it shows me priority uh. on CNN's website that my friends like this site or like this story on CNN. Now, that's kind of a big deal, and here's why. They, they had a great, uh, a great guest during the keynote uh, who was the former um, CEO, founding, one of the founding developers of FriendFeed, which was a terrific service. It's still a terrific service, but Facebook bought it, and he is now, I, I believe, the, the VP of, um, of platform development. His name's Brett. Oh, this is going to bug me. Brett something. I'll find that. Anyway, so he comes out and he says, you know, when we were at FriendFeed, one of the things we that we knew was was going to be important for us is being able to um, to have to when you log in as a new user, you are going to have to see other of your friends that are also on the service, or it would be of no use to you because you know, f frankly, the general public is not that interested in meeting new friends online uh, that they've never known before. There has to be some sort of a social connection to get you. To that point and he said the magic number we discovered was five if you log into friend feed and you see a minimum of five of your friends already there you'll stay there and you'll have you'll continue your online dis offline discussion online well he says this extends directly to this new part of the open social graph which is if you go to this alien gonzalez story and see five of your friends already like this story the odds are you're going to a like it and b interact with it Right. And so websites that add this kind of content or the, the friend feed or the uh, uh, Facebook like functionality for new users who come to your site. The idea is you're increasing the level of engagement to that content by adding the like if your friends already like that stuff. So the interesting thing is that when I click the recommend button, it shows up in my activity feed, right. not as like a post. So I would have to click share for it to actually pick up as a, like a, uh, something on my feed, right? Like a, a story on my feed or a post. Well, I, let me see here. So yeah, you're right. That, that's okay, a, so, that, no, because click. I can see, you know, I can see your recent activity, right? I see right. your stuff. So but you don't you, have to you wouldn't share see it. The actual, yeah, but if you shared it, you know, when you put something like a, when you put a status update, like if I share a blog post, it'll pull the image from the blog and, you know, right. add and the that, excerpts that, and things like that. So if I actually wanted that to be more prominent on my page, I'd have to share it versus recommend it. I exactly. Okay. But what we're really talking about is, is not what's going on on Facebook. What we're talking about is what's going on on the site. When I go to the site and see right. that your, your picture's on there, I'm more likely to read it. So right. the idea is... That's because, cool. the, you know, I don't spend a whole lot of time, you know, on your Facebook activity stream. You don't? Well, you See, know. here here comes the hurt feelings again. No. <laughs> yeah, Megan's got thin skin, too. So <laughs> you guys, we just need to be good to one another, okay? <sighs> okay, just, so. Just be sensitive. Megan likes the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. There's so much to learn from this site. Okay. So anyway, you get the point. Like the idea is that we, you know, we have a lot of opportunity to create more engagement on Facebook. Now, with that is sort of the the double-edged sword that everybody's saying is that, you know, this increases the yeah, and Facebook's logic is we're going to create a map 
of all of your activity, the photos that you post, the photos that you like, the stories that you like, the stories that you post, the comments on other people's websites, they're, they're all going to go back into Facebook. Facebook's going to go out and find all this stuff. So when I go to Megan Strand's page on Facebook, I'm going to see a composite picture of her entire social map and how she integrates with mine and with Dane's and with everybody. And when I go to these stories that are that are integrated there, I'll see not only what Megan likes, but what Dane likes, but what you know all, all my connections, and be able to make new connections from it. That's the idea. the The other side of that coin is Facebook now has just a lot more information about the things that you that you are doing online, and which so is what they want. <laughs> which is exactly, and there are people <laughs> who say that you know with the uh, you know you need to be holding a shaved Persian cat with a diamond, you know, collar on it all the time because that's the pet of choice Mark, for evildoers. The, the Mark Zuckerberg, he, <laughs> yeah, he shaves his cat. <laughs> okay, Dane, so uh, prediction, what's the backlash? Who's going to freak out about this? Well, I don't know. You know, he's got a whole um, – <laughs> it, it's really going to be interesting to see, actually. I watched a little video clip of, of Mark actually this morning talking about how this is so much better than it used to be when it comes to privacy. And um, – uh, and, now, and now I can't remember what his primary argument on that one was, but it, <laughs> because it was like he, it made so much sense when he said it. Oh, great. Yeah. OK, so you used to hold on to more data and now you're holding on to less data. Uh, this is it, it really it was like so easy for him. But I but I read some stuff on Twitter where people are like, well, you know, Mark Zuckerberg's um, point of view here is essentially that we live in an entirely new society and an entirely new reality where where we just are open now and privacy is not as relevant as it used to be of course that's not i mean they've <laughs> they've suffered some lawsuits and uh, and a lot of backlash the last time people thought that they didn't care about privacy um you've got to imagine that they've been very careful i think they've been very subtle actually because w what what i think they're really saying is that um the elements that might concern you with regard to privacy are uh are somewhat below the surface, I guess. You know, the the things that I think will benefit Facebook, I suppose they're kind of twofold. One is what Pete's totally describing here is just this level of engagement. If it if it feels like it has more value to you because your connectivity and your integration is, is so much greater, um, well, hopefully that does have value. I mean, hopefully the things that you're interested in uh, are, are things that aren't, you know, embarrassing to you and, you know, whatever. And you, you have some level of connectedness with your friends. There may be some people who've stopped using Facebook as much as they used to that might start using a little bit more. I mean, I can see where they're going with it, and it seems like it makes a lot of sense. The other side is you start to look at what they're doing and how it helps them. You know, the way that it populates your, your likes and interests, for instance, um, until now, you've had to go into your profile and edit it and manually say what you like, what your interests, and what your hobbies are. And some people do that and some people don't. If you do do that, uh, you know, go in and change those things just for fun. Well, you can't now, but <laughs> if you ever did, you, you'd notice some different ads popping up on when you go on Facebook so that, you know, as, as advertisers, you're trying to identify people's likes and their interests. Now, those things are automatically populating as you go through uh, your, for instance, your web experience um, and you're liking things like on CNN, you're liking articles, et cetera. They're going to start to profile you uh, on your 
on your um, profile page now with those Start likes you? and interests. <laughs> well, they're going to doing it doing profile. it for you essentially, right? Yeah. Well, so, that's I, that's the whole point, right? Is that they're going to make it. I think that's where this is going is to make their, you know, to make their ads even more effective and targeted and things like that. Right. Right, right, right. So, so all right. yeah, I we mean, as marketers and advertisers, fabulous, but as yeah. users, you know, it's something to be careful about. Well, you know, this is the, the thing though, Dane, and I, you know, and I'm with you. I, I don't, I, I feel like I have two very different positions on this, right? As a marketer and a content producer, as somebody who, who writes and creates media, uh, I really, I really like this direction. I like the be able. Uh, I like the ability. If, if there was a button, I would, I would push it. Uh, <laughs> that says, you know, I really like the ability to be able to share this level of granularity of individual content. It gives me more information about the kind of content that my followers like. And since most of my followers are on Facebook. Uh, you know, I like that. I like being able to do that. It's the same thing that Hootsuite gives me, being able to see what links my followers click on. What is the kind of information that they like more than other information? It, it lets me build an editorial calendar of stuff that will bring people back to my site repeatedly. And that's what we're all after. Right. What I don't, uh, you know, on, uh, at the same time, talking out of the absolute opposite side of my mouth, I, you know, I'm like everybody else. As a user, it, it does kind of make me nervous about, uh, you know, having that information, which, frankly, Facebook has already known or, you know, the web in general knows where I've been. But now that they're pointing it out with my picture on it. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a little bit uh, it's just a little bit creepy. Well, well and it's one more reason, um, you know, as, as technology evolves and, and we go from like, you know, email being on your computer to then being in your in your handheld that you can take to the bar with you etc it's one more reason to probably just shut the computer down if you drink too much <laughs> because you Important may go, safety tip you Very may go on a binge let's say you drink a six pack and you go on a two-hour you know web surfing binge and in you just Boca. start liking all kinds of things you know yeah we're gonna do the, a naked marketer special community event in, in Boca. Boca. Baton. i like that <laughs> And the next morning you'll get up and yeah, your whole your whole oh, crap of your interests just blown exactly. way into a, a drunken reality and, and you're gonna have to go in and <laughs> and I don't know what and, and unlike just, yeah. and remove yeah, your activity all kinds of stuff. I didn't really like that. Well that is the that is the good thing about Facebook though, because I did like that Elian I recommended that Elian Gonzalez story and I was like, I don't really want to recommend that. So I was able to remove it. So that's good. Yeah. Well you remove it and you can unlike it directly from CNN, you know. I mean it gives you that kind of an you know interaction. It is you know there's another thing going on here, which is uh, they announced, the, and this is you know even more technical. They they announced the OAuth um, 2.0 specification for authentication and security between sites, so that you're you notice you're not giving your password to CNN, you're giving your password to Facebook, mm -hmm. and then Facebook is authenticating between all these sites, and that's and where the bugs are coming. Yeah, in today, I think. Yeah, yeah, and and but but you know the I you know I we should I, I've got a a good. Uh, friend uh, Trent Adams, who's a an expert on this stuff, we should get him on the show to talk about OAuth and talk about authentication security. He, you know about, you know how, uh, why this is something we don't have to be too terribly concerned about. It seems like this is, you know, we Facebook's really trying to take over the internet, and they probably are, but they're trying to do it with with you know, okay intentions maybe. In the same way Google is trying to take over the internet. Th this I mean, has been very thoughtful, I'm, and you got to hand it to Facebook because. Unlike, I would say, both Google and Twitter, who are very, very, very careful about rollouts and changes, um, Facebook, not so much. 
Like the, yeah. these guys kind of have, uh, they got some brass balls. I think the way they just, you know, whip around changes really yeah. like this is a big change. These are big deals. And I don't, I don't know how much of it was tested with, you know, some users and how many focus groups they went through. I'd be curious to know these, um, these are big changes. They they are big changes, but you know the the upside is usually when Facebook rolls out big changes that are un you know that are to us appear untested, uh, the, they really affect users immediately. Like they just totally can the entire user interface of Facebook and give you something new. Well, this is a little bit different. I mean, this is more substantial than that because it's more than lipstick and gloss. You know, it's. It's uh, it's something that really affects how you how your information and how your you know your identity is associated with content on the web, and I think that's that's an interesting thing. So it is anyway, interesting, but yeah, they, I mean they've got four hundred million people to worry about, <clears throat> and uh, I think what they've done they've thought very carefully and very intelligently about. I mean it it really is what they're doing. I think really is exciting on a lot of levels and has been thought through pretty carefully, but it's just seems so risky, right? To just flip those yeah. uh, switches overnight. Well, it's it does. I, it, it does. And I, I think, you know, in, in terms of a recommendation for people moving forward, I think jumping on this, you know, if you're already integrated into Facebook at some level, getting your developers or jump in and get some of those social widgets. I mean, in most cases, Facebook has made this so easy that it literally is a line of code that you copy and paste into your website and uh, and you can enable uh, you know some of these basic features to integrate with your user social streams and that's a that is a uh, that is a big deal in itself because really end user marketers can do this and can uh, and, and can enable some of these great new features without being a developer um, that's very know, cool some of the more uh, you know you can actually replace your site comment system with Facebook comments uh, which is you know, so when somebody comments on, on a post, you know, if somebody comments on episode nine when it goes up and says this is terrible, that will go <laughs> directly to their Facebook page and other people who comment, it will be, you know, those comments will be integrated into their activity streams. Mm -hmm. That That's, you know, we haven't gone that far, but. Uh, and and uh, apparently some big, uh, some, some big changes to the uh, insights are coming as well. Insight uh, has already changed. I mean, they they launched a, you know, they launched a pretty incredible um, update to Insights with a lot of wonderful tracking tools to to be able to look at the data that you're getting from your Facebook activity and your website. I mean, they're essentially right, making right. a Google Analytics play. Exactly. Uh, yeah, that that's what's going to be really interesting to see. Yeah, that's. I, I, I don't show, expect boys. them to yeah. take over Google <laughs> Analytics in any way, but yeah, it, it's a lot more than just. How many fans did you get this week, and how many right. people visited? It, you Th know, this one's page. more insidious on in the product. Uh, yeah, you know, it is. Yeah, anyway. New, different show. You're right, Megan. Yeah. Anyway, so lots of cool Facebook stuff, and uh, we'll post a link, all the you know appropriate Facebook links uh, to the show notes tag. Absolutely. Dane and I had the pleasure of interviewing Sean O'Driscoll, uh, who I, as I mentioned earlier, is the co-founder of Ants Eye View. Um, and Sean's background is, I'll let him tell you about it, but he is really a pioneer of doing social media well um, on a huge scale. He was one of the first developers um, who worked on the user community at Microsoft. And so um, we are really 
fortunate to be able to talk to Sean and um, hear about his experience with social media and doing it on a really strategic level. I think that's their gift is, um, you know, they don't see these as little fun little tools that, oh, we need to get a bajillion fans. They are very strategic and they work with huge companies like Yahoo, Dr. Pepper, Starbucks, LA Fitness. I mean, the list goes on and on. So, and these guys have been growing leaps and bounds over the last year or so. So, um, Without further ado, uh, I'd like to share our interview with Sean O'Driscoll. Sean, welcome to the program. Thank you so much for joining us. Sure, it's great to be here. I personally heard Sean speak uh, earlier this month at the Social Fresh Conference in Portland, and he was part of a panel discussing the ROI of social social media. Um, and I was personally so impressed with everything that he had to say that I sort of ran up to him afterwards and asked if he'd, he'd talk to us on the show. So we're so excited to have him here today. Um, and I think so much of what we talk about here on the show and what, what companies are talking about today has to do about social do with social media, you know, w- whether they should get involved and if they get involved, how do they do it right, how to measure its impact. Um, and, and as we've talked about at length on the company there, or on the show, there's lots of companies out there doing a great job with social media, and there's some companies out there that are just missing the boat. So luckily for those that are lost in the seas of social media, we have Ant's Eye View uh, to make sense of what um, they call social business. And the list of clients that they have is amazingly impressive. Um, lots of big names that you, you would recognize, and hopefully Sean can talk a little bit about them. But um, Sean, I was hoping first if you could give us a little bit of a background um, on Ants Eye View. I know you're a co-founder, so I'm curious about the genesis of this company. It looks like you've done some great growing as well. And can you tell us just a little bit about what it is you're doing and why you got into what you're doing? Yeah, I mean, it all kind of starts, frankly, with a very long journey on the brand side myself. So I, I spent my entire adult life at Microsoft from 1992 until uh, 1998. In the last five of that, I was running our global um, user uh, community uh, business. So everything that was about web self-service and helping how to, or users helping other users online, I was responsible for. And in addition to that, I ran our MVP program, which was the systematic way that we reached out and thanked um, all the volunteers that are so active in many online communities and helping other users use technology. And so we wrapped an appreciation program around those activities. And I guess I fell so in, in love with the idea of business transformation through social, um, not only in terms of how you deliver support, but also how do you build brand advocacy and how do you build product quality that I decided I could probably make a better living on the outside, uh, serving others and on the inside. And uh, so I left to form my own independent consultancy and, and quickly met a guy named Jake McKee and Jake had uh, run the adult fan community for Lego brands. Hmm. And so Jake had this really different kind of brand. You know, they sold plastic bricks right. and I sold enterprise software. Uh, but we discovered that the tactics were exactly the same. The lessons learned about the power of social and super users were identical. And so we kind of, I guess, jointly fell in love with the idea of building anti view and how do you kind of get brands to stop taking what we thought of as the bird's eye view on marketing and how do you uh, do sort of target uh, or broad segment-based approach and, and kind of take the opposite or anti view, which is getting down in the weeds and really understanding user to user or tweet to tweet, mm-hmm. what people are really saying about your products and services. That's fabulous. Well, and I love the the ant metaphor. I just think it's so powerful. Um, and it's probably, 
useful for you when you're explaining to clients. I just love the, the contrast between the bird's eye view and the, the ant's eye view. And, and, and I've got to imagine, Sean, that at the time that uh, you, you launched this little endeavor, uh, it, I, I'm assuming it seemed pretty heretical to a lot of companies, that it was a real shift in their thinking about uh, their brand approach. Yeah, in fact, I kind of argue it still is, despite the buzz. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. In a funny way, I mean, it's, but but yeah, that's definitely true. And, you know, as I left, you know, the technology world, and, and Jake was sort of that first aha moment, but, you know, as I walked out, I knew it worked in a technology company like Microsoft. Um, but at the time, I didn't really know how it would work for, um, say, a consumer brand or uh, an insurance product. <laughs> And so that's been maybe one of the most interesting parts of the journey the last two years is working with clients in the financial services space, um, in the uh, retail space, um, in the e-commerce space with, an in, uh, with insurance clients and really kind of seeing that those core principles are very transversal uh, by industry. The tactics differ, certainly, but the overall reasons to do it, I, I think, are highly aligned. Well, well I, 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 I I know one of the things we want to sort of get into, Sean, because it's what Megan uh, saw you speaking in Portland, and we just kind of were very, very curious about your perspectives on the ROI question that companies have. But, but be before I think we jump into that, I'm, I really am very curious about, um, you know, I mean, are, are there com companies, for instance, that you would, um, they may approach you to, dis to, you know, maybe talk about uh, starting a campaign or, or getting uh, involved with you and, and uh, or at least getting your assistance, you know, to start a social media strategy, and you find out that they're just not ready, and and uh, they probably won't be. I mean, that they can't make the the shift to sort of listening to the customers or get down to the inside view. It's just not they can't get there. Yeah, that certainly happens. I mean, and you have to kind of pause and figure out is it, it, one is there a real opportunity to change that point of view, or is it just not a fit? Uh, for an organization like ours um, at, at that time. I think, you know, we, we talk a lot about what I call social customer engagement, even uh, above and beyond social media. We did a project just recently I presented to the, um, at the staff meeting for a CMO of a Fortune 50 uh, company. And the point of that meeting, uh, we were asked to come in and talk about um, what large brands were doing a really good job and what made them different. Um, in their approach. And it was fascinating as we started to tear apart, you know, who we thought was the, at the top and what really did make them unique. And, you know, we, we kind of found, and, and, you know, to give credit where credit's due, um, the folks, uh, Charlene Lee and Altimeter, have done a good job with uh, engagement DB and, and, and sort of looking at what brands are doing a good job. And Starbucks and Dell consistently get rated as, as tops in that. But as we started to tear it apart, I think what we've discovered was that what made Starbucks and Dell unique was that they weren't doing social media. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the huh in that was, well, they're not doing social media. They're doing social customer engagement. And the difference is they've committed specific people, resources, operational discipline, and engagement activities back to a, to a finite and defined set uh, of tactics and strategies. So in, in Dell's case, they've got a handful of properties where it's incredibly clear that they've staffed dedicated people to engaging in conversations and driving operations back inside their business to make changes. And it's the same with, with Starbucks. And it's not to say that they're not in all those other social channels as well, but it's really clear that if you want to have an engagement with Dell that's about giving them feedback, 
that idea storm is the place to go where you'll get a response and that something could happen. Um, and the same is true with Starbucks. If you want to have a support experience, you know where to go um, in those assets. Whereas a lot with a lot of other brands, there are so many places to go now. You can find them on Facebook and Twitter and and you know their own blog properties and third-party websites. But the problem is they're not consistently in all those places. And so the customer experience ends up being highly fractured and, and highly unclear for for the user. So when you're sort of your initial engagement with a large enterprise uh, size you know corporation, um, when you're when you begin that engagement or that conversation about social media, is that kind of part of your starting point is to say, you know, well, social media isn't uh, a bunch of brand new uh, tools that have only been around for a few years, and we're you know going to employ them to to spread your brand. But is it to say, well, you know, social social engagement, social media, uh, by various definitions, uh, has been occurring for a very long time. We're going to extend that by using uh, tools as part of the strategy. Yeah, exactly. I mean, there's this funny story that I probably blogged about this a couple of years ago when when Dell first launched uh, IdeaStorm, which was a voting site on product suggestions. Hmm. There was some uh, some pontificator who gave them a hard time about stealing the idea from Dig, um, because at the time <laughs> Dig was the big aggregation site that allowed users to vote on things. And I thought, well, geez, you know, didn't the didn't the uh, Romans kind of come up with some of this voting stuff? <laughs> On time yeah, right. <laughs> didn't, didn't Darwin sort of document that the collective of masses was more powerful than than an individual being? And it sort of tied nicely to our to our ant metaphor as Very well. Yeah, you these go. swarms of ants. So I was maybe self-serving in my brand. <laughs> uh, That's great. But you know, I, I thought you know there, there's this real inconsistency out there sometimes. So the starting point, as you suggest, I, I think is always about making sure that you understand what their business goal is. Mm -hmm. And that that you know if you're not getting it in that first question that you're continuing to kind of peel the onion because if their right. business goal is to launch a blog, they don't have a business goal. Right. Very good. Well, that, I, in fact, oh, sorry, Megan, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say I think that's just in in hearing you speak and see, meeting a couple of other representatives from your company at Social Fresh. Um, you know, that seems to be the the key. It's a, and we talk about it on the program all the time. Is Social media is not a strategy, you know, it, it is a tool and it is a way to in implement and engage. But if you don't have a solid strategy behind what you're doing, there's no point in putting up a Facebook page, getting on Twitter, doing a blog, all of these things. So, I mean, it seems to me that you guys are being incredibly thoughtful on the strategy piece and, you, you know, you, you do a great job in the implementation as well. But it, it seems to me that it comes down to strategy for you. Is it, would you say that's the case? Yeah, that, that's very true. And, and you know, it's, it's a great bridge in a way into this measurement and ROI question, because if you haven't declared a business objective in, in the form of a strategy, you'll never measure anything, um, right? Because you haven't declared a metric that mattered. Um, I was just reading, a, it was a blog post from a, another uh, person today uh, that was pretty good. He was talking about uh, sort of the difference between uh, brands who are chasing quantity versus quality of followers and friends on things like Facebook and Twitter. And, you know, I had kind of recently, I've, I've been in front of a few companies who are, where I've seen their, you know, their Facebook fan page or their Twitter uh, followings. And it always kind of dawns on me that when I look at it and I think, wow, you have 50,000 followers. That's so exciting. But wait a minute, you have 250,000 employees. Yeah. <laughs> So, you know, if your follower count or your friend count is a fraction of your employee count, 
don't celebrate yet. And, right. you know, I'm not saying that quantity is more important than quality, but you can just picture the agency that shows up and says, hey, for this amount of money, we can get you an extra 50,000 followers in three weeks. We're going to do this campaign and it's X thousands of dollars and they go get the followers and everyone celebrates victory and people like us sit back and go, what? What just happened? <laughs> No, Sean, that's an interesting uh, point you're bringing up because it's something I hadn't quite considered, but uh, is there something in what you're saying uh, about, you know, the employees of a, of a large organization uh, following? Um, I, I, I don't imagine you're just suggesting that um, for numbers, but is, there, is that also part of uh, the total engagement that the, that the company is sort of using social media um, within its employee structure as well as uh, outside of it? Or, and also sort of inviting employees to be part of that total conversation? Well, it certainly could be, and, and in our opinion, it should be, right? I mean, if there's one thing I would point back to Microsoft as doing exceptionally well, it was lowering the barrier for employee to customer conversation through social channels, hmm. right? Is it, it, you know, the part of the early impetus for doing social at Microsoft wasn't because we wanted to do social media. It was because the world perceived the company was gigantic and didn't listen. And it was very easy to dislike a company. Um, it's really easy to dislike a brand, but it's hard to dislike people. And so, you know, putting a personality or putting a face on the brand became incredibly important. And the main mechanism to do that was to empower employees to have a voice online through sites like Channel 9, through blogging. Uh, where we could really demonstrate that, you know, we weren't this big, dark, ugly company in the Northwest. We were, you know, a group of 80,000 really committed uh, mothers, fathers, students, um, you know, employees who were passionate about building technology to change people's lives. And that never came out in the marketing materials in the way that it could through allowing our real employees to go online and have those conversations. And that actually leads to me to probably what is my most burning question, um, <laughs> honestly. I, I mean, just for me personally, that, and, and it's the question of, you know, when you're talking to a company, um, any size company, I guess, to, to start, uh, you know, this conversation about a social media strategy and, and the tactics and all that kind of thing, h how important is um, their involvement, um, and I would say all the way up to, you know, will, will the CEO be using any of these tools to make any statements or, you know, I mean, there's a whole, there's a lot of variations. I'd like you to maybe just, you know, what's your favorite and what do you see and, uh, you know, what would you recommend? But hiring a PR firm to make statements, hiring an outside source, to, you know, to keep these things updated, allowing the employees to variously, you know, post uh, with the company uh, brand as a tag. How do you see that? Yeah, I mean, the, I, let me kind of give two answers because I think that there's a, uh, you know, a, the, uh, the best case answer, and then there's layering in some reality. Uh, in, in the best case, if your brand is not committed to personally staffing resources as part of the engagement, then don't do it, right? Is, is there is no authentic conversation that begins with an outside agency, mine or anybody else's. Mm -hmm. No one can represent you like you. Um, and you should never hire somebody else, in my opinion, and lots of people will disagree with me on this, but uh, you should never hire someone else to tell your story um, through that sort of a channel, um, you know, exclusively, right? I mean, you already have paid other people to tell your story. It's, that's traditional PR. And yes, you're, you're, you're playing a role with that, but they're helping you craft the story. 
Um, this is your opportunity to kind of own your story from a personal standpoint. And, and I think that's incredibly important. Now, having said that, let's back into some amount of reality. Um, the last two years, we've gone through an economic cycle like none of us have ever experienced in our lives. And we, we did it at a time where social was on fire. So certainly a lot of brands out there had access to dollars when they did not have access to headcount. And so I think there were whole businesses built around staffing um, on behalf of brands, people to go out and quote unquote do engagement. And you know, I, there's probably a mix of cases that where that happened where it was okay and probably cases where it was really bad. Um, the reality is I, I would encourage those brands who have outsourced those relationships to be putting in place a business plan to move it back in-house because it's just, in the long run, it's a mistake. I can see how you, you could start there as an experiment or as a pilot or because you had budget and you felt it was critical to get, get running at it. But at some point, you have to take accountability and bring that back in-house. Yeah, yeah, I think that's that's an amazingly good point. Um, I wonder if we could talk just a little bit more about um, exactly you know how I met you through about ROI and social media. And I guess my question is, when you obviously have success under your belt and experience under your belt with some pretty huge companies that you can leverage and say, okay, here's the case for social media. So when you're doing that, are you having to talk? in terms of ROI to these new companies that you're, you're, you're talking to? Or are you making more of a, a general business case um, and pointing to examples of things that have been done well? Like, how are, you, how are you doing that when you're building your case for social media, when you're looking at, you know, when you're talking to these big companies? Well, that's a super good question. I, it, it, it's a, there's a little irony, and I, before we had this call, I was debating what my real opinion was. I'm not sure I ended on it, so maybe we can maybe we can wallow in it a little bit. But I'd love to. It, it, I mean, it's funny because I get asked the ROI question at every conference right. by everyone I come in front of. But the, the question that's been bouncing around in my head is do I really get it from our clients? Mm. Um, and yes, I get it. But the question I get from, the, from our clients tends to be a much more specific and therefore answerable question. Um, so, you know, the problem at a conference is you get a very vague or very general ROI question that is usually loaded <laughs> because they've asked it 50 times before at 50 other conferences. Mm -hmm. But when I'm, when I'm, when we're with a client, and we're doing a project, we were brought in to solve a particular problem. Mm -hmm. The problem might've been, how do we um, increase the number of customers we serve, um, with support answers? So then the ROI is sort of, or at least the approach to ROI is already understood, right? Because I can set up a measurement framework that looks at number of customers that we've delivered answers to, what's the cost of delivering those answers, and what's the satisfaction associated with delivering those answers, and how does that compare to a traditional phone call center-based approach? So that would be the mark, or the, excuse me, the support silo. Um, on the, on the marketing side, I can look at you know the same kinds of things. It's just not a call deflection. I might look at um, number of suggestions uh, made for the product and what's my adoption of those suggestions back in and how effectively did we close the loop um, around those suggestions around the product or how many fans did I, did I build, but more importantly than fans, can I see and track behavior that is likelihood to recommend? So am I building uh, brand affinity measurement um, into our model? One of the things we looked at actually at Microsoft 
um, was we added questions into our, into our worldwide customer satisfaction survey that asked our customers whether or not they participated in our communities. Because we were curious, did, the, did those customers who participated in our communities display a higher level of satisfaction, loyalty, uh, likelihood to recommend uh, with Microsoft than those who did not participate in community? And, you know, no big surprise, we found out they did, and by a statistically significant large amount. Um, and so that became, again, not so much an ROI equation, but a, but a reason to invest. We knew that X dollars in to drive more people in our communities would accrue um, X in, increase in satisfaction or loyalty or sat with support. Um, and so it's, you know, the more specific your question is, the, the easier it is to kind of build an ROI model behind the scenes. So the, 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 the conference question is always so vague, and I, I think the day, the, the expression that came out of my mouth that day at the conference, and I've kind of played with this since, is I kind of, I guess I reacted and I said, well, there's three kinds of ROI questions, and you have to figure out which one you're being asked. There's the analytic question, the business question, and the resistance question. And I, I think that's a good starting point in, in figuring out how to answer it for people, because the business question is, someone's trying to tell you what the business impact is going to be. Am I going to um, increase my brand affinity? Am I going to drive leads? Am I going to drive referrals? Am I going to reduce cost of support? What are the, what's the, what are the business impact statements? The analytical question is, is the how question. How am I actually going to measure it? What tools um, do I need to use? How do I instrument? Um, what do I compare to? How do I know if it works or if it's successful? And the resistance question is a cleverly phrased, I don't believe you at all, um, but it, I sound smarter asking you an ROI question than saying that social media sucks. <laughs> and so I think as an answerer, you have to figure out really quickly based on your audience, am I getting the analytic question, the resistance question, the business question? Right. And then figure out how to frame your answer. Well, and, and knowing that there, um, you know, in everything that we do, uh, you know, on, on all the marketing fronts, the things that we spend money on, we hope to have some ability to, to measure or, or, or gauge, you know, some return on investment, and some activities are far more easily adapted to that um, than others. And of course, you've got a strong branding background. Once upon a time, I think a lot of branding activity wasn't really measured that much. Um, do you think that this ROI question can sometimes get in the way of implementing something, uh, you know, a strategy that is in, in some respects measurable, but in, in other respects is really just part of brand building. Yeah, I mean, I, I think, you know, social media in many ways is just as difficult to measure as everything we've ever done in marketing. Right. Mm -hmm. and, and so, yeah, I do think it gets in the way because I think for, for some weird reason, we're asking, uh, we seem to be searching for a more precise answer on social media ROI than we ever searched for on PR. Right. or television advertising. Um, and, and, you know, I'm not suggesting we don't go do a lot of math. In fact, I'm a big fan of doing the hard work of figuring out what the model is. But let's make sure that we're comparing apples to apples um, and that we have the same sort of rigor in place around social measurements as, as we've had in the past um, around those more traditional measurements. And, and that's sometimes one version of that resistance question is if I'm really being hostile, figure out who that asker is and, and what they have to sell or what they have to protect 
because what they may be selling or protecting are things that are headcount, dollars, budget, or a product or service they sell that is best served by the world staying in traditional media. Well, and I, and I think your point about specificity is, is super important as well because it's very easy to ask vague questions, um, but as soon as you can kind of narrow in on, on what it is they're actually asking, it, it's a lot easier to provide an answer um, and kind of put your, your listener at ease. So, um, But we're sort of running up on the end of our time, which I, I, it's just flown by for us, so um, I wish we could, we could talk forever about <laughs> social media and ROI and I, I, I had one question though Megan I've, yeah one go thing ahead. I'm just so so I'm, I'm dying to you're know. just dying you have to know I'm, I'm dying to know at Anti view what the Irish connection is here we've got <laughs> a Driscoll a McKee a McDonald a McConnell and two Sean's with the Irish spelling I mean yeah. St. Patrick's Day must be great at your at Anti view I'm guessing it's fabulous here it's fabulous <laughs> you know, it, it, it's funny though the first four of us were McKee, O'Driscoll, McDonald, and Johnson. Oh, and my we, gosh. We used to joke that we sounded like an Irish law firm. That's uh, awesome. But, you know, I don't know. I guess we need a little bit more diversity. Uh, mix, so we'll, That's awesome. we'll focus on you'll work that. On, you'll work on that oh, and try, I, to, try to measure the ROI of getting a more diverse yeah. workplace. Yeah. Well, well, Sean, where, where can people find you? Where can people find ANSI? And, and I know you guys do a lot of blogging, things like that. Where can people find you? Yeah, people can find us at ansiview.com. They can find us on Twitter at ansiview, or they can find me on Twitter at Sean O-D-M-B-P, S-E-A-N-O-D-M-B-P. And I guess, you know, if I could leave one final thought for people to consider as they think about measurement, I think it would be to ask yourself for your corporation, for your brand um, environment, what is your celebration point? Because that's the thing that you need to adjust how you measure. And I'll, I'll, I'll I'll explain that through a really quick story, of which course. is that at, at Microsoft, what we celebrated most was shipping a product. Um, and that's true in most product branding oriented companies. The day you celebrate is the day you put the product in market. You throw a party, you thank the developers, you thank the product team, you buy pizza, you buy beer, you do whatever you do. You do lunch parties. And it struck me as I was leaving Microsoft how wrong that celebration day is which isn't to say we don't need to appreciate our de developers for death march to product shift. But the problem is that when you celebrate on launch day, you have not celebrated with your customers, right? Is pick a metric, pick a date on the horizon and something that you can measure that tells you customers have successfully adopted your product or service where success equals they're telling others to use your product. But figure out how to measure that and change the culture of your company around what you celebrate, and you'll find a, a huge uh, shift in organizational culture. Because the real problem, and Vista is maybe the most painful example in the history of my former employer. Right? It's, there was a big celebration the day that Vista launched. But I can assure you that was the wrong day to celebrate um, that product because the, the, the roadmap thereafter was far more challenged. Um, and I think the company's got it a lot better, you know, now with, with Windows 7. But I, you know, I think that's a lesson that isn't just one focused on Microsoft, but focused on any company that has traditionally had a product marketing point of view versus an experience marketing uh, point of view. So I don't know if that's helpful to people who are interested. Very helpful. Oh, Sean, I'm so glad we ended on that point because that's, uh, that's very illuminating and enlightening. That's really, that's really something I think to, 
to take to heart. Absolutely. I, I, I would also encourage people uh, who uh, listening to the podcast, anyone who hasn't heard of Anti View, um, to to please go to the website and take a look at the blog. Um, there's really there's a lot of great information, uh, a lot and and this kind of thinking. You know that you can see. You know Sean is uh, not like figured it out 10 years ago and spending the rest of his career uh, selling what he figured out 10 years ago, there's really a lot of evolution and thinking um, like he's just sort of put forward in, in this past 25 minutes. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Sean. We really appreciate it. And we uh, hope to have you back someday on the show. My pleasure. Anytime. Well, that was an awesome interview. I'm just so pleased that we were able to have Sean with us and, uh, you know, with the whole Irish connection. That was pretty cool. Right. <laughs> uh, Sean is, I think, one of the smartest and most interesting people I've talked to in the last at least several weeks, but in I, quite I some time. I feel like we could talk to him for hours, really. And he's just such a down-to-earth guy who, you know, as Dane referenced, really is talking about and thinking about this on an ongoing basis. It's not just that, oh, we have this little strategy and this is what we do with these huge corporations. I mean, he's really, you know, on the cutting edge and really one of the thought leaders, I think, as far well, as social media. So. And it's one of the ways that their company, as a company, has espoused, um, I think, the, the new sort of reality that businesses have to accept uh, as they get into the social media uh, space um, or, or, you know, start to evolve as companies who listen and engage with their customers uh, instead of just sort of speaking in one direction at them. So one of the ways that they as a company have embraced that, Megan, is you know you, you can go to their website, of course, read their blog, see the things that uh, and listen to what you know as, as Sean talks about the, the brainstorming that they're doing and the things that the ideas that they're developing and the things that they aren't exactly sure about. And I think that's that makes a company really dynamic and, and interesting and fun. That's right. Well, I am personally a fan of the ant colony at this point. So, more to That's come. Awesome. Them. That awesome. is fantastic. Yeah. So so grateful that uh, that he gave yeah, us awesome. his time. Yeah, awesome. He was awesome. Time. Thank you, Sean. Um, let's uh, let's talk about tools. Let's talk about tools. Well, I thought the first tool we should talk about. I'm going to introduce it, but I'm going to let Peter talk about it a little bit more. Is um, the tool that we use every week on this show um, that when Peter was gone last week, Dane and I had to use, which was Skype call recorder. Um, and it's a super easy, friendly tool um, to record Skype calls. And uh, Peter, you want to say a little bit more about it since you're the technical brains behind the show? Well, I, you know, I've been using a Skype call recorder from uh, I think it's Ecam Networks. Uh, Ecam Network. Uh, they have a bunch. It, it's a Mac app. There are other apps for for Windows, um, <clears throat> but this one just allows you. It's a little plugin that installs inside of Skype and gives you a big red record button. And when you're ready, you're on a call. Uh, you press record, it records video, it records both sides of the video, it records audio, uh, it installs a number of widgets uh, or another a number of script applications so you can, for example, split the sides of a conversation, uh, which is one of the things we do every week to mix, uh, mix uh, two different sides of the conversation differently. Uh, it's, uh, it's a very powerful and very lightweight, high-quality application from Ecamm Network, and, and it has been really terrific. Um, I use it in, uh, you know, in my kind of day-to-day -day work uh, with clients to record, you know, uh, to record specification meetings to make sure that I am always, um, you know, that I always know exactly what it is I need to deliver for clients and, oh, and have a smart. record of it. Uh, you know, always do it with permission. 
um, make sure that you know they know they're being recorded because uh, you know I work with clients in many different states and there are different laws uh, about what you can and cannot record um, without permission and so just make sure they know they're being recorded but otherwise it's a terrific app and it's one that is just very very stable rock solid and, yeah, um, idiot and proof, pretty it, much. Really I think. idiot proof, <laughs> and and um, and and it makes it just a really terrific, um, terrific app. I'm glad you guys used it and had such good luck with it. Yeah, you uh, know what I think would be cool too is if we could talk at some point, not this show, but um, in the future about just kind of the basics of doing a podcast because, um, you know, once you get the co- the the content recorded. Um, you know, it's a couple more steps beyond that, right? To cut yeah. it and make it available, and it might be an inter- interesting conversation. So, absolutely, would love to do that. Cool, thanks. Thank you, Peter. You're welcome. Um, and then I'm also going to introduce the next one if anybody <laughs> doesn't have yeah, the do objections. It. I'm sorry to be rambling on, but this is. I'm just going to bring it up, and you guys can talk a little bit more about it. But um, TV hat? I, no, not oh. TV hat. Go ahead. No, that's Go yours. Ahead. That's all yours, Dane. It's Go ahead. Um, I have found myself over the last week literally talking to three different clients and friends about Twitter. And, um, you know, I get the usual, oh, it's so it's so dumb. I don't care what people are having for lunch. I don't get it. Oh, how do I do? Why is it so hard? And uh, what I've been trying to explain to them is that you should think of Twitter as a research tool. Um, I, I Really, on any topic, you know, if you want to go to a place where people are talking about the topic that you care about, Twitter is a great, great place to find all sorts of resources. Um, you know, of course, there are people out there using it for frivolous purposes, but there are also a lot of people out there using it as a, a very powerful information tool. So, um, and I think Peter inter- wants to introduce an actual tool that um, will help in this regard. You know, I I have two thoughts on this. Can I share two thoughts and a Please. tool? Please. Uh, the first one is something that I say when I'm dealing with with clients who've never really experienced or played with Twitter that that you know, there are sort of two levels of use of Twitter. One is the broadcast, which is just, you know, it's integrated with your website and it rebroadcasts, uh, you know, your new posts on the website and new content. And that's about the level of interaction that you have. Like people who are interested in you, so what? We will, um, you know, they can follow on Twitter if they're Twitter users and that's where they get the content. I think the real use of Twitter really is, is directly related to your level of willingness to investigate the tools that allow you to use Twitter. Just using the website, for example, is kind of step one. But, you know, if you really want to get into it, you've got to start downloading some of these wonderful apps, some freed, some paid, uh, like uh, TweetDeck or or, uh, Twitterific uh, from the Icon Factory or, uh, you know, Tweety, which has recently been purchased by Twitter and will become the official Twitter application for you know, for both PCs and mobile devices, like they allow you to do things like save searches and hashtag searches and and understanding what that terminology is that allows you to kind of take it to the next level to understand that, you know, yesterday I could hit, you know, pound F8 and see what everyone was talking about, uh, about the F8 conference at Facebook. Uh, you know, SXSW for South by Southwest. I can see direct links and posts from everybody who's at, at South by Southwest. Uh, you know, to be able to follow real-time events like that on Twitter really takes it to the next level. Um, and, and then the tool uh, is, uh, is a really interesting tool from, from a company that I wouldn't expect to do a tool like this. Uh, Google has released uh, a labs uh, tool called Follow Finder. Uh, it's at www.followfinder.googlelabs.com. And if you enter in uh, you know, any Twitter username, uh, this tool goes out and analyzes amazingly quickly 
uh, the social graph of people who that person is following and who's following them and gives suggestions of who else you might like. So, uh, for example, I enter Pete Wright and I get a I get two lists, uh, tweeps I might like and tweeps with similar followers. So the tweeps I might like, people on Twitter who follow the users that I do also tend to follow these people. So I can see that because I follow, you know, a certain batch of people, I should also be following Callie Lewis and uh, Craig Hockenberry and, you know, people who are, are interested in, in similar things that my users are in, interested in. And then users who also have similar follower lists who are not directly people that I follow that, that I might like to follow. So they give you these suggestions of following real people and real accounts that, that um, that'll help you get to that next level. So, for example, if you're new to Twitter and you don't know, you know, and you're interested in the kinds of things that we talk about on this show, you might enter Megan Strand and Pete Wright and Alta Dane and see who we follow and who might follow us uh, to get an idea of who you can follow to, uh, to uh, get your own follower list started and start getting more out of Twitter. So that's it. I've rambled on long enough on that. <laughs> Does anybody have a good hashtag directory? Uh, what Why do you mean, laughing, anybody Dave? like me? Like a I'm just laughing because um, you guys talk a lot. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> you're just I'm feeling just left out because you're not. I'm feeling you know, a little left out. You know why you're left out? Because you don't tweet. I was just going to say it's that. It's not even not true. No, mm -hmm. totally did today and last night. Oh, fact. good for you. Um, That's uh, and just And I have actually been watching uh, Megan's tweets. She's on it. That girl is active on the Twitter. She is. Thank she's you. quite good. And she's uh, got interesting things to say. So follow Megan. Thank you. Yes, absolutely, and you should go to hashtags.org. Uh, you know, I that's, but that is so, it, that just helps you find a specific <laughs> hashtag and like yeah. who's talking about it and what's trending. Like I, I want a directory where you type in marketing and it gives you hashtags you might want to follow. You know, like that's pound marketing. Thought, I and, think you have a new website business ahead oh of you on gosh, that one. I that is not. I want it. I just don't want to create it. That's well, not my thing. Um, there, Do you know what I mean? You know, like, yeah, I mean, like, no, what, like, what the, thought. what the hashtag? Wt hashtag dot com. Yeah, I'm on that right now. I'm trying to see if it's. Uh, is, is that helpful? Do you find that? More well, helpful? it's another one that gives you trending and and uh, searching and, and, but it also down at the on the in the sidebar it gives you hashtag categories and yeah. so you can look at you know journalism, and see all the hashtags that have been registered there and and that they're watching. Um, so it, it's it's more you it gives you a little bit more information on uh, uh, like you're looking for um, you know I like that directory that categories of hashtags I think that's useful um, so good question Megan that's it so we'll post that if anybody has anything better yeah please post share. it because when I click on the marketing category yeah, there's, there's like nothing there's it's one like <laughs> and why aren't we even in there? Give me a break. So wiki, we need to fix that. Exactly. Oh, permission error. I don't have permission. Well, I'm yeah. All right. Well, we'll figure right, that so out. So we've got a we've got a tool and a question. Yeah. Then, so awesome. So uh, okay, Dan, 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 whatever your name is, <laughs> it's it's time for you to shine with your tool. <laughs> I love it. I want to be a guest on this show sometime and see how you introduce me. All right, it's Dane's time to shine. Go, Dane. Dane. Yeah, I've, I know. I've been sitting here this of, entire show. Yeah, what's the opposite, what's the opposite of, of Facebook? Oh, wow. See, stumpers. These are big stumpers. Yeah. <laughs> I think it might be. MySpace. Uh, no. 
No, I think it might be like a paper and pen. Let me think. <laughs> no. Uh -huh. Maybe All right. it's dark room. Yeah, that's no, what I was thinking. Is it TV hat? <laughs> <laughs> wow. Segway. You are a good segue, <laughs> man. Uh, all right. So, yeah, I've been sitting here this entire show thinking I'm baffled by how any product or, or really any, like, news item would be more important and more interesting than the TV hat. So I guess in this case, it's best for last. Um, anyway, I, I don't know why we didn't do a whole show on it, but somebody, some brilliant person has come up with a hat. It's like a baseball cap. I'm just going to have to describe it like, you know, in radio times. And it's got a brim that goes about a foot away from your face. <laughs> and at the end of it, you put your little iPhone or iPod Touch, and you're watching a movie, and there's a, a magnifying glass. And, uh, and there's like a sheet or something that comes down on the sides <laughs> of your head. So you look sort of like a camel, like in the old plays, or big camel nose, and you just shake it around. Um, and, and, but the great thing is, uh, if you go to their website, uh, buytvhat.com, I think, They've got suggested uses, and I think this makes a lot of sense. Um, the exercise cycle at the gym. Um, Just the, don't uh, swing your head too much. Cause <laughs> eating popcorn on the couch while your kids, while you ignore your children. Uh, <laughs> okay, on an airplane. I just saw the neck protector. <laughs> Why does it have what? a neck protector? So you well, can watch it outside and not get sunburned? Like, I don't not, get it. The, well, the problem is you're kind of taking your safety um, you know, I mean, you're, you're really like trusting the environment around you. It's when a you safety feature? <laughs> I, I'm just guessing, you know, like you, well, really could, you really could have a lot of things bad happen. You're to you walking down the street and you have your TV hat on and I can just I would just drift into oncoming traffic. Yeah. That kind That's of thing a, might happen. Right? You need or, the, the preemptive uh, neck protector. Or let's say you're on the airport, you got a, or on the airplane, you got a window seat, you have your TV hat on, you forget you have a TV hat on, and you quickly turn to the left, and bam, <laughs> like you hit the window with your head, and you need the neck brace. Actually, I think they're, w once they make the iPad version of this hat. Oh, I was just thinking about that. <laughs> you're going to need a full neck brace. You're going to need a neck brace, and you're going to need some sort of a suspender on the back to hook to your pants to keep it upright. So the pants protector. <laughs> for the iPad TV hat. Yeah, yeah. So I, I can't wait for that. That's brilliant. I'm, that I'm all brilliant, in. Yeah. Okay. But folks, no, seriously, though. Thank you, Dane, for sharing Seriously, that. though, it's really? You're going to say the seriously, word seriously? Yeah, seriously. Uh, it just goes to show you that not all things have been invented yet, right? Like you oh. guys might think, you might, you might have woken up today and thought, I can't believe it. Everything's been invented. We can't possibly have new products. Because and then you see so, TV hat. So much innovation. You see TV hat, and you're like, why didn't I think of that? And, you know, there are brilliant people all over this country and world who you never know, you know? Like, you don't know where the next TV hat's coming from. Dane, would you tell us where people can find you? <laughs> okay, yeah. Because I want to know more about you. <laughs> well, my professional <laughs> self resides at strike10media.com. Um, my semi-professional self resides at Alta Dane on Twitter. Um, my really unprofessional self, yeah, that's the secret. Uh, yeah, that's I don't the know. one. That's the cookie. That's the Easter egg of the show to find exactly. out where the unprofessional. And if Dane you lives. tune in next week, I might reveal that information. <laughs> oh, carrot. All right, uh, there's Alta Dane and Megan. I am at Megan Strand on Twitter and encouraged. I n encouraged.com 
is my website and blog. And I'm at fifthandmain.com. I'm Pete Wright on Twitter. You can follow us on the show at thenakedmarketers.com uh, now with brand new like buttons. Hey. Uh, and now they're all broken. And maybe they'll be fixed by the time you hear this. I hope so. Uh, and uh, so make sure to follow us at there. You can subscribe to the show on iTunes from there. You can follow us on Twitter from there. Uh, all sorts of great ways to keep in touch with us. But uh, that's where you start, thenakedmarketers.com. Uh, thank you, everybody, for downloading. Thanks so much to Sean for his valuable time. And uh, on behalf of Dane and Megan, I'm Pete. This has been The Naked Marketers. Mm-hmm.